Marx and Working Class Unity. Selected reading from the Communist, the former theoretical organ of the Communist Party USA and the current theoretical organ of the Party of Communists USA. Marx and Working Class Unity by Andre Marty. The trend of development of the class struggle in the period of deepest capitalist crisis is yet another clear proof to wide sections of the proletariat of the fallacy of the illusion that the working class can expect any improvement of their position from quote-unquote peaceful collaboration with the bourgeoisie, as advocated many years by social democracy. Vast masses of workers are being imbued with an understanding of the correctness of Marx's words, quote, the emancipation of the working class must be the work of the working class itself, end quote. The working masses are being convinced on the basis of their own experience that the most serious obstacle to realizing this historic task of the working class is the scattered proletarian fighting front and the lack of a common aim on the part of the working class during its fights. The desire for unity in the struggle against the bourgeoisie is spreading to broad sections of the workers who have hitherto lent ear to the social democratic practice of unity with the bourgeoisie and hostility to the revolutionary workers. They now raise their voices for unity with these same revolutionary workers in order, with their combined unanimous forces, to restrain the capitalist advance and overthrow the rule of the bourgeoisie. The working class masses are rejecting the quote-unquote strategic recipe of counter-revolutionary Trotskyism, which proposes that two detachments of the working class should quote, advance separately and strike together, end quote. They want to march into the fight together and not hinder their decisive struggle or be beaten separately. The problem of unity of the working class in its intensifying class struggle against the bourgeoisie has now become one of the central questions of the international revolutionary movement. The pressure from the working masses who are striving for the unity of the working class has forced even the most errant reformist splitters who sabotage the fight of the working class to pretend that they are zealous apostles of unity. Social democracy in all countries is doing its utmost to throw the blame for a split in the working class during class battles upon the quote-unquote sectarian, one-sidedness, intolerant communists. Quote-unquote, Bolshevik sectarianism declares the leader of the quote-unquote left wing of the French Socialist Party, Zramsky, quote, which brought about the split still remains the chief obstacle to uniting the forces of the working class, end quote. Quote, the Communist International is nothing but a splitting organization on an international scale, end quote, writes Schifrin, the Menschwick theoretician of German social democracy. 
the working class was united until the communists separated from social democracy. Therefore, the communists must be made to reject their quote-unquote exaggerations, their quote-unquote dogmatism, and it will be then possible to set up the quote, old broad unity, end quote, by quote, peaceful agreement, end quote, between the communists and the social democrats. This is the somewhat simple social democratic thesis. Vandervelde most significantly reminds us of the quote-unquote unity realized in the pre-war Second International. Quote, there was a time, said he, on the eve of the World War when there existed international socialist unity, from the ultra-moderate English trade unions, from Henderson and MacDonald, to Lenin, to the most extreme representatives of revolutionary quote-unquote social democracy. Masked subjection behind centrist phrases of the interests of the workers, who stand for class war, to the petty bourgeois interests of opportunist collaboration with the bourgeoisie inside the framework of the pre-war unity of the Second International. This is the, quote, ideal of unity, end quote, by which Vandervelde, Friedrich Adler, Paul Lewis and company want to draw the attention of the working masses from their joint struggle against the bourgeoisie. And moreover, they talk in the name of Marxism whose principles, they say, demand quote-unquote unity of this kind. Paul Lewis, the leader of the Proletarian Unity Party, the bourgeois-fattened group of communist renegades, demands, for example, quote, unity obtained in the light of Marxist principles, end quote, and interprets this to mean unprincipled amalgamation and unity of the communists with the Social Democrats, by way of diplomatic negotiations, round a green bias table, and the rejection of the united front struggle of the working masses against the bourgeoisie. But is this the true road to the unity of the working class, as taught by the founders of scientific socialism, Marx and Engels, the first mighty leaders and organizers of the socialist working class movement? In the history of the international working class movement, the communists of the Third International were not the first to be accused of a quote-unquote splitting mania, of quote-unquote fanaticism, of a quote craving for power, end quote, and intolerance towards other quote-unquote also socialist tendencies. They share this fate with Marx and Engels. The Proudhonists and Bakuninists the opportunists in the ranks of German social democracy, and the possibilists in France, untiringly accused the gifted leaders of the Communist League and the International, both during their lifetime and after their death, of the very same sins. And Marx and Engels's intolerance towards them was regarded as violation of the unity of the working class. All the efforts of social democracy to depict Marx and Engels as the founders of the fetishism of unprincipled unity, of the kind to be found in the Second International of the pre-war period, came to grief against hard historical facts. Not the Bolsheviks 
and the Third International, but the Second International, long before the World War, flung all the traditions of Marx's leadership of the First International on the question of unity, and all the direct and unambiguous reminders of Marx and Engels on this question, into the dustbin. Marx and Engels were sterling fighters for working-class unity. During the entire course of their lives, they waged a ruthless struggle, crowned with splendid results, against everything that was a hindrance to working-class unity in the class struggle of the proletariat. They untiringly fought against bourgeois and petty bourgeois influences, which restrained the working class from the class struggle, and the corporate and national limitations of those who, confused in their own narrow class interests and national prejudices, could not perceive the general class interests of the international proletariat, the sect which was for, quote-unquote, reviving peace, which counterpoised their recipes promising bliss to the mass movement of the workers. For the struggle against capitalist rule and the influence of the democratic petty bourgeoisie upon the proletariat in order to overcome sectarian and national limitations, they created the International Workingmen's Association, the first organization of international revolutionary working-class unity. They considered it of immense importance that the working class should be united in its economic and political battles against the bourgeoisie. Quote, All efforts aiming at that great end have hitherto failed from the want of solidarity between the manifold divisions of labor in each country and from the absence of a fraternal bond of union between the workers of different countries, end quote, wrote Marx in the preamble to the Constitution of the First International. Marx and Engels fought implacably against sectarian, quote-unquote, ultra-left denial of working-class unity, against the rejection of the unification of the working-class mass, who had not reached a high level of class consciousness. Communists are not splitters, but the organizers of the working masses in their struggle against the bourgeoisie. Whereas, quote, a sect seeks the purpose of its existence in its point of honor, not in that which it has in common with the class movement, but in the special talisman, which makes it different from that movement, end quote. The Communist Manifesto, on the other hand, emphasizes the fact that the communists, quote, have no interests separate and apart from those of the proletariat as a whole. The theoretical conclusions of the communists are in no way based on ideas or principles that have been invented or discovered by this or that would-be reformer. They merely express, in general terms, actual relations springing from an existing class struggle, from a historical movement going on under our very eyes. End quote. Therefore, the communists are in no way aloof from the partial interests of the working class, 
but they always link them up with the common interests of the working class as a whole, with the, quote, interests of the future, end quote, with the revolutionary prospects of the movement, and subject the partial interests to the common interests of the whole working class. Hence the fact that the communists march forward and fight together, not merely with those sections of the working class who share their communist views, but also with all those workers who are more or less class conscious, who more or less clearly orientate upon and participate in the various forms of the, quote, existing class struggle, end quote. Quote, I think, wrote Engels, referring to the experience of the First International, that the whole of our practical activity has proved that the common movement of the working class can be adhered to all points along its march, without losing or concealing the principles of the working class movement or even its organization, end quote. Engels, on no account, was imagining any sort of unity between communists and other tendencies in the working class movement in the form of a compulsory, quote-unquote, organizational bloc. His idea was unity in the form of a joint struggle against the class enemy, with the safeguarding of complete freedom of criticism as soon as the joint fight ended or the conditions of struggle were violated. His idea was that, as a general rule, there should be organizational independence for the class-conscious elements among the working class. Moreover, Marx and Engels never expected to realize unity even in those countries where unity among various groups and sects was an urgent matter of the day, where it was not a question, of course, of incongruous unity between petty bourgeois and revolutionary tendencies as a result of negotiations and agreements on the part of the leaders, but was dependent upon quote-unquote achieving unity from below as the work of the masses. That is to say, when the class-conscious quote-unquote independent workers are given the parliamentary tribune from which they can influence the more backward sections of the workers. In his letter to Sorge on the position of the English movement, Engels wrote, quote, There is not the slightest chance of getting any sort of unity among the workers' leaders. But nevertheless, the masses are moving forward, true, slowly, and the while fighting for consciousness, but nevertheless, quite obviously. Things here will go as they did in France, and previously in Germany. Unity will be won as soon as there is a certain number of independent workers in Parliament, end quote. Marx and Engels severely censored all sectarians who kept themselves aloof from the still non-revolutionary working masses under the pretext of quote-unquote pure ideas, or even quote-unquote faith in Marxist doctrine, accepted as dogma. It is impossible to overlook the ideological and political backwardness of wide working masses. It must be overcome by criticism, by the class-conscious elements in the working class movement, assuming the leadership in the process of joint struggle, on the basis of the experiences of the working masses themselves. Engels, 
arguing against the sectarianism of the American socialists, who neglected the class struggle in their zeal to safeguard the purity of the faith, wrote as follows to Wisniewski, quote, The best way to find theoretical clarity of conception is to learn from your own mistakes, to learn wisdom at the expense of your own losses. And there is no other way for a mighty class, end quote. Quote-unquote overlooking the backwardness of the working masses has always been the source of sectarian denial of working class unity. It was so not only during Marx's time. Lenin and Stalin, as pursuers of Marx's line on working class unity in the struggle against the bourgeoisie, also fought against the idea of quote-unquote overlooking the backwardness of the reformist working masses, which at one time was advocated by Trotsky on the question of the Anglo-Russian Committee and the quote-unquote ultra-lefts in capitalist countries. However, Marx and Engels were also valiant fighters against proletarian unity with the petty bourgeoisie. They were in the front line of the struggle to separate the working class from all bourgeois and petty bourgeois elements, groups, and tendencies, which were trying inside the ranks of the working class movement, frequently under the name of quote-unquote socialists, to deaden the class struggle, to restrain the workers from the class struggle. Marx and Engels, interpreting working class unity to mean unity in the working class against the bourgeoisie, never refused to enter into an energetic struggle against all varieties of opportunism of those who carried the influence of the bourgeoisie and petty bourgeoisie into the movement of the working masses on the pretext of maintaining quote-unquote unity. The proletariat is not isolated from the remaining classes of bourgeois society. The bourgeoisie has at its command innumerable means of influencing separate sections of the working class and individual groups in the working class movement. Bourgeois and petty bourgeois influence, inherent in the very essence of bourgeois society, is the greatest obstacle to working class unity in the struggle for its genuine class interests. Consequently, Marx and Engels waged determined warfare during their whole lives to root out the agents of the bourgeoisie from the ranks of the working class movement, to isolate petty bourgeois tendencies from the working class masses. Quote, In a petty bourgeois country like Germany, wrote Marx and Engels in 1879 to the German social democratic leaders, these bourgeois and petty bourgeois ideas are certainly justified but only outside the working class party. If these people want to form a social democratic, petty bourgeois party, they have a perfect right to do so. Then we can negotiate with them to form a bloc, etc., under certain conditions. But inside the working class party, they are a foreign element. The break with them is only a matter of time. End quote. Thus, in their epoch, when the petty bourgeoisie still played a much more independent role than during the epoch of imperialism, Marx and Engels 
considered it possible to negotiate with petty bourgeois tendencies on the question of the fight against the common enemy, but they categorically protested against quote-unquote organized unity with petty bourgeois socialists. On the other hand, when deciding upon tactics, they always took the degree of maturity of the masses who had come into the movement into consideration and never refused to fight against opportunist leaders, for they considered that to isolate them was the first step necessary in raising the class consciousness of the masses to a higher plane. Engels, writing to Bernstein on November 11, 1884, in connection with the spread of mass social democratic influence in the backward parts of Germany, said, quote, we cannot bring the masses over to our side if they do not gradually develop. Frankfurt, München, Konigsberg cannot become proletarian centers like Saxony, Berlin, and the coal mining districts. Petty bourgeois elements among the leaders will for a time find among the masses here just the background they have lacked up to now. That which for some has been so far a reactionary tendency may now be produced here, on a local scale, as an essential feature of progressive development. This would require a change in tactics, so that the masses would be led forward, and the worst leaders prevented from coming to the top. End quote. The struggle against right and quote-unquote left opportunism as a form of foreign class influence in the ranks of the working class movement and of the proletarian party, was considered an essential factor by Marx and Engels in connection with the maintenance of the class character of the working class movement, the only means capable of facilitating working class unity against the bourgeoisie. Therefore, sentimental quote-unquote considerations of unity have never blunted Marx and Engels' sharp criticism on two fronts. They never glossed over a situation where a split in the party was inevitable, and were for unity only insofar as unity served the interests of the class struggle. They never made a fetish of unity, and a large part of the fight during their lifetime was fought to separate the working class movement from other tendencies, was against the bourgeois and petty bourgeois, right opportunist and sectarian policies which in one form or another had become an obstacle to the joint struggle of the working class against the bourgeoisie. Engels, writing to Bebel on the split in the French party between the Guesda supporters and the Possibilists, October 28, 1882, said, quote, Unity is a fine thing while it is possible, but some things are more important than a unity. They who for a lifetime has fought like Marx and I have against fake socialists more than against anybody else. We looked upon the bourgeoisie as a class and hardly ever engaged in encounters with individual bourgeois. We'll never be alarmed because the inevitable struggle has come upon us. End quote. Marx and Engels mercilessly condemned opportunist utterances about unity at the expense of weakening the class struggle, and the quote, 
licentious passion for fraternizing with all those who declared their views to be socialist, end quote. They declared that to advocate such unprincipled unity actually facilitated and camouflaged the split of the working class in its class battles. Quote, we must not let ourselves be confused with shouts about quote-unquote unity, wrote Engels to Bebel. Quote, it is just those who talk most about this slogan who are the chief inciters to splits. For instance, the Bakuninists today, the Swiss quote-unquote Yudis, who are the inciters of all the splits, and who talk of nothing so much as of unity. These unity fanatics are either mediocre and want to mix all and sundry into one indefinite mass, which has only to be left for a while, and the various elements thrown into one heap will come into more acute contradiction among themselves. In Germany, you have an excellent example of this in the gentleman who advocated conciliation between the workers and the petty bourgeois, or else they are people who unconsciously, like for example, Mulberger, or consciously, want to falsify the movement. This is why these inveterate sectarians, mighty political mischief-makers, and scoundrels at times, drown all others in shouting for unity. We have never had so much unpleasantness and trouble with anyone in our whole lives as with these noisy advocators of unity." End quote. Marx and Engels interpreted it as an essential dialectical process that the working class should be extensively united for class struggle and should break determinedly with all elements representing the bourgeois and petty bourgeois influences, all the internal enemies of the working class movement. Unity against the bourgeoisie is impossible without separation from those tendencies which had become an obstacle in the process of development of the working class movement, had become enemies of the class struggle. In his letters, Engels more than once mentioned the dialectics of unity and splits. Quote, Incidentally, old Hegel said that the party which, having made a split, is able to withstand the split, has already proved in practice that its victory is assured. The movement of the proletariat inevitably progresses through different stages of development. At each stage, people are left behind who can go no further. Apparently, wrote Engels in another letter, every working class party in the large countries can develop only through internal struggles, as the dialectic laws of development dictate. The German party became what it is in the fight of the Eisenachers and Lasallians, in which the actual fight itself played the most important role. Unity became possible only when the band of lumpen proletarians, who had been moderately educated by Lasalle as his weapons, had concluded their work. End quote. Bourgeois and petty bourgeois tendencies, quote unquote, conclude their work, that is to say, become isolated from the masses in the process of class struggle. And this goes forward more quickly. The greater the mass of workers taking part in the struggle, and the more the masses free themselves from the influence of these tendencies on the basis of their own experience. Thus, 
the united front becomes the necessary factor in realizing the exodus of the working masses from groups who have already played their part in the ranks of the working class movement and becomes the starting point for working class unity on a higher plane. Only from the viewpoint of this dialectic conception of working class unity is it possible to understand the concrete position taken up by Marx and Engels on the question of unity and splits in the working class movement of our time. The First International is a brilliant example of this. The International Workingmen's Association set itself the task of uniting the scattered proletarian groups and sects for joint struggle and joint action. And in the fire of this struggle, sectarianism was overcome. The petty bourgeois leaders of the sects were isolated, and the working class was raised to a higher level of class unity. To achieve this end, Marx limited the practical tasks of the international to, quote, points upon which the workers could directly agree and act jointly, end quote. However, when the Bakuninist tendency became strong, and together with conditions created in the European working class movement after the fall of the Paris Commune, threatened to convert the first international under Bakuninist leadership into an obstacle to further class struggle. However, when the Bakuninist tendency became strong, and together with conditions created in the European working class movement after the fall of the Paris Commune, threatened to convert the First International under Bakuninist leadership into an obstacle to further class struggle, Marx unwaveringly preferred that the First International should retain its undivided proletarian character, even at the price of temporary ruin, rather than have unprincipled unity inside the international. On this subject, Engels writes as follows, quote, All kinds of good-for-nothings have attached themselves to the international. The sectarians already there have become bold and abused their affiliation to the international hoping that they would be allowed to commit enormous follies and low tricks. We would not stand this. Knowing full well that the bubble must burst some time or another, we tried not to let the catastrophe drag on, but to bring the international out of it, pure and untainted. At the Hague, the bubble burst. Now, the sectarian mischief-makers are advocating conciliation and shout aloud, that we are intactable, that we are dictators. Yet if at The Hague we had behaved compromisingly, if we had glossed over the maturing split, what would the consequences have been? The sectarians, that is to say, the Bakuninists, would have had additional time at their disposal to commit even greater follies and do even greater mischief in the name of the international. The workers of the most advanced countries would have turned away in disgust. The bubble would not have burst, but would have gradually contracted, as though pricked with a pin. And the coming Congress, that at which the crisis should have come, would have been converted into the meanest, most scandalous brawl, since the whole principle had been sacrificed already at the Hague. Then would the international indeed have been ruined, ruined by quote-unquote unity, 
end quote. After the downfall of the First International, Marx and Engels continued their energetic struggle both against the sectarian aversions of the socialists to the non-socialist working masses, and the, quote, cries on behalf of unity at any price, end quote, with petty bourgeois tendencies. In England and in the United States, where the proletariat still had no independent communist party, where the bourgeoisie held considerable political and ideological influence over the working class, Marx and Engels fought first and foremost against sectarianism and for unity between various sects and workers' groups inside one political party, independent of the bourgeoisie. In Germany and in France, where there already existed more or less Marxist independent parties, Marx and Engels considered petty bourgeois tendencies in the working class movement and unprincipled unity with quote-unquote socialist representatives of bourgeois and petty bourgeois interests, the chief danger. They consequently warned German social democracy primarily against quote, glossing over contradictions by dissolving them in phrases, end quote, and against the consequences of uniting with opportunist, petty bourgeois tendencies. In 1875, Marx and Engels warned the leaders of the Eisenach party against uniting with the Lasallians. When unity was, nevertheless, attained at the price of unprincipled concessions on the part of the Eisenachers, Marx and Engels assumed a hostile attitude toward them. Quote, We know how the actual fact of working class unity is satisfying, wrote Marx in his famous letter to Brack. But he is mistaken who believes that this momentary success is not bought at too high a price. End quote. Four years later, the open activities of the opportunist Heckberg Bernstein Schramm group forced Marx and Engels to sharply raise the question of separating from these petty bourgeois tendencies. From that time onward, Engels constantly reminded the German social democratic leaders of the need to prepare for the inevitable break with the petty bourgeois wing of the party. Quote, As soon as we have sufficient elbow room again in Germany, wrote Engels to Sorge in 1885, there will be a split, and this will be to our advantage. A petty bourgeois socialist party is inevitable in a country like Germany, where the petty bourgeoisie, even more than historical rights, has no great historical tradition. End quote. Engels saw clearly that the majority in the parliamentary fraction of the German social democracy was passing to the side of the bourgeoisie, and during the last year of his life, he severely condemned all unprincipled quote unquote wailings about unity, which only created conciliatory tendencies to the opportunist Volmar group which almost represented the usual type of popular party inside the party. In France, the working class movement developed in a different direction corresponding to the economic and social structure of the country. There was a split in the working class party between the French Marxists, led by Guesde, and the Possibilists, who represented the opportunist tendency. Although Marx and Engels were well aware of Guesde's weak points, 
They nevertheless made common cause with his party when it separated from the possibilist minority. Quote, the long-expected split has occurred in France, wrote Engels to Bebel, October 28, 1882. They are purely differences of principle as to whether the fight should be a class struggle of the proletariat against the bourgeoisie, or whether it is permissible to opportunistically renounce the class character of the movement and the program in cases where more votes and more supporters could be obtained by doing so. Malin and Bruce were in favor of the latter, and thus they were for sacrificing the proletarian class character of the movement and made a split inevitable. End quote. In 1893, when, as a result of the successes won in the elections by the parties, which called themselves socialist, the parliamentary fractions of all the socialist parties, from Milleran to the Guesdists, united, Engels, who had no confidence whatever in this unprincipled unity, wrote to Sorge as follows on December 30th, 1893, quote, Concentration is the slogan in France today, and I shall be glad if it does not also mean capitulation on the part of all the socialists to the Millerandists, whose practical program, without doubt, is considerably more radical than the socialists, end quote. The French socialists did not take Engels' advice, and the result was the disgraceful work of Millerand. One of the two leaders of the International Workingmen's Association, Engels, lived to see the birth of the Second International. He did everything in his power to ensure that the Second International should be formed under the hegemony of the revolutionary proletariat, and not under the leadership of the petty bourgeois possibilists that it should serve the interests of the class struggle, and not class conciliation. He fought a stubborn fight around the question of convening the First Congress of the Second International against the possibilists and the conciliators, who wanted to unite the possibilist and socialist congresses, in the latter of which the Marxists were playing the leading role. Quote, the conciliation bubble in Paris has burst. End quote. Engels wrote joyfully to Sorge after the unsuccessful efforts to unite these parallel congresses. Quote, Our sentimental conciliators, for all their expressions of friendship, deserve to get this hearty slap. It will probably cure them for a time. End quote. However, Engels fought with the same energy for separation between the Second International and the anarchists and welcomed the decision of the Brussels Congress of the Second International, which excluded them, just as he had spoken in favor of a break with the German anarchist group headed by Most, and later in favor of the quote-unquote youth group separating from the working-class party. The fight on two fronts inside the working-class movement, which was untiringly waged by Marx and Engels, proves that it is one of the most important factors of struggle against the bourgeoisie. However, after Engels' death, the Second International entirely rejected Marx's viewpoint on the need for separating the working class from petty bourgeois elements and bourgeois agents. The unity which existed for the 15 years before the imperialist war till 1914 inside the International, and which is so much praised today 
by Vanderveld and others, was built upon an absolute denial of Marx's principle of class unity, built upon a fetishism of unity, independent of whether or not unity serves the interests of the proletarian class struggle or not. This unity was not unity of the working masses for the struggle against the bourgeoisie, but it, quote, subjected the interests of the proletariat to those of the petty bourgeoisie inside one party, end quote. The centrists who united with the revisionists, ministerialists, and liquidators under the slogan of unconditional unity of the working class movement were actually pursuing a policy of subjecting proletarian interests to the interests of the petty bourgeoisie. The contradictions were glossed over, and unity was false. The Bolsheviks alone fought determinedly and consistently in the spirit of Marx and Engels, both in Russia and in the international, to break this false unity, to break the block between proletarian and petty bourgeois interests, and to separate the working class from reformists and centrists. The unprincipled unity of the pre-war international, so valuable a weapon to Messrs, Vanderveld, and Friedrich Alder, led to the quote-unquote class peace of August 4th, to the paralyzing and breakdown of working class resistance to the world imperialist war, to a split in the working class in the post-war period in the Central and the Western European proletariat. The pre-war Second International was ruined by unity. Marx's, quote, policy of a split, end quote, the consistent struggle of the Bolsheviks on two fronts, on the contrary, led to the realization, quote, from below, end quote, of practical unity among the decisive sections of the proletariat in Russia, in their struggle against czarism and the bourgeoisie. It led to the conquest of power by the proletariat. Following the road indicated by Marx towards working-class unity by means of splits, the Bolsheviks realized unity. Under enormous pressure from the socialist workers who are striving for a united front of struggle side-by-side with the communists, a new maneuver of considerable dimensions is being adopted. The Social Democrats are now proposing to cease the quote-unquote old quarrels, to forget the past and establish unity between the quote, two working-class parties, end quote. But at the same time, they are sabotaging the united front of working-class struggle, which is already approaching. The agreement between the Communists and Social Democrats of Hungary in March 1919 and their unity on the platform of all power to the Soviets, despite the quote-unquote organic unity, in spite of the common platform, did not prevent the Hungarian Social Democrats from disorganizing the Hungarian Soviet Republic from inside and smashing the power of the Hungarian proletariat. And in 1922, Social Democracy used the Conference of the Three Internationals to adopt counter-revolutionary extortionary maneuvers to the Soviet Union, and for the purpose of new maneuvers, calculated to split the struggle of the international proletariat. But only a few weeks ago, the German Social Democratic Party proposed that unity be realized 
and at the same time, in the very same appeal, it rejected the proposal of the communists concerning joint action in conducting a general strike against Hitler, and called upon the workers to quote-unquote maintain order, and not to open fire quote-unquote prematurely, thus clearing the way for the fascists. Social democracy consistently subjects all quote-unquote organic unity of the working class movement and all quote-unquote joint positions occupied by workers' organizations to the cause of deceiving the working class and treacherously handing it over to the bourgeoisie. It wants to restore unhindered subjection of proletarian interests to bourgeois interests under the banner of unity. It wants to lead the proletariat to a new form of quote-unquote class peace. It wants once to paralyze the impending decisive proletarian struggle. The Communist International advocates working-class unity in the struggle against the bourgeoisie. The Communists of the Third International, like the Communists at the time of the Communist Manifesto, quote, have no interests separate and apart from those of the proletariat as a whole, end quote. And their policy does not lead to, quote, splitting the working class, end quote. They certainly are, quote-unquote, one-sided as regards the proletarian revolution and on behalf of proletarian dictatorship. But this is the only road indicated by Marx to the emancipation of the working class as a whole by the working class. They certainly are, quote-unquote, fanatically in solidarity with the interests of the first proletarian state in the world. However, the fate of the Soviet Union, the stable fortress of socialism, is insolubly linked up with the interests of the proletariat of all lands. They certainly violated the quote-unquote class peace advocated by the bourgeoisie and its social democratic agents. They certainly failed to safeguard quote-unquote unity with the NOSC detachments. They certainly make sharp breaks with traitors to the interests of the working class. For the Communist International is leading the proletariat along the road to unity indicated by Marx, Engels, and Lenin. Thank you for listening to this reading from the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. Support us at newoutlookpublishers.net, join us on Discord, follow us on Twitter, and visit peopleschool.org to sign up for free classes.